You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We're in our series on the subject of joy for the journey. And we have discussed some different topics. We started with salvation. And uh, we'll never have joy if we do not know the Lord as our Savior. And uh, that's the secret. That's the starting place right there. You know, uh, Philippians 4, we read this last week. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 4, help me with it if you know it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Now, that's a command. That's a command for Christians to rejoice. Rejoice is the, uh, the verb form of the word joy. So we're to have joy, but we're not just to have it. We're to let everybody know we've got it. It ought to be evident and obvious in our lives. But I think the key to that verse, it says rejoice. What are the next three words? In the Lord. And you know, if you are in the Lord, if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ and if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter if your Sunday school class is Ford and you're a Chevy person. You'll be okay. Or vice versa. Now, you're not going to believe this. It doesn't matter if two years ago or three years ago, if you even were on the Duke uh, team. Now, some of, you, some of you about left the church over that. But it doesn't matter. It's going to be okay. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand my, my situation at home. You don't understand uh, what I'm going through with my health. And you don't understand my, 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 my situation with my kids or with my marriage. Or you don't understand emotionally what I'm going through. And I may not understand. But I know this. If you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can rejoice. And I can rejoice in the Lord. I'm glad I know that no matter what happens down here, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And we can have joy in the Lord. We can have joy for the journey. Our text here is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he gives them some instruction. He gives them some encouragement. And he gives them some motivation for what we have to look forward to as God's people. I'd like to share that with you this morning. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege to be in church. Thank you for the choir. I thank you for the uh, congregational singing. I thank you for the kindness of our church family to me and to my wife and the blessing they are. I thank you for the special we just heard. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and give us what we need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say too, Miss uh, Robin, we're so glad to have your sister, uh, Heather, and uh, Ryan, we're so glad to have these folks visiting with us from Montana. And uh, I was talking to him before the service. If you think it's gotten a little chilly here, you have no idea, right? Montana's the place to be if you want cold and all that, but it's beautiful. We're glad you're here. And others that are visiting with us, thank you for being in God's house. We talk about the second coming. We talk about the second coming of Christ. Well, why do we call it the second coming? 
The reason we call it the second coming is because Jesus already came one time. He came the first time. And by the way, that was prophesied. That was predicted. That was promised in Scripture that Jesus would come. As a matter of fact, it was prophesied where he would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 tells us. And all the prophecies of Jesus' first coming, guess what? They came true. They were fulfilled down to the very detail Jesus came the first time. Well, he said he was coming the first time, and he did. He says he's coming the second time, and I want to promise you he is. He will come the second time. Now, the first time, Jesus came as a lamb. But the second time, he's coming as a lion. The first time, he came as a servant. The second time, he's coming as the king. The first time, he came uh, to sacrifice himself. The second time, he's coming to rule and reign. I'm glad that Jesus is coming again. The first time, he had a cross that he bore. The second time, he'll have a crown that he will be wearing. Jesus is coming again. Verse number 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'd like to talk to you about joy in the second coming. Joy in the second coming or the return of Christ. Now, the second coming of Christ, and you've heard preaching about it, I'm sure, and uh, a few years back we did an entire series on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. We went through verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and I love the book of Revelation. I was reading this week about a, a, a theological student who he was studying. Boy, he was deep. And how many of you have ever done a study on Revelation? Let me see your hand. You ever done a study on that? It's pretty intense, is it not? I mean, it's, it's pretty wild, all the beasts and the, the seven trumpet judgments and the seven vile judgments and the seven seal judgments and, and all the, the antichrist and the false prophet and all that. I mean, it's pretty intense. But a theological student, he was with some friends and they were just trying to, uh, to, to just uh, uh, um, uh, have some uh, stress relief and they were shooting some hoops and playing some ball in the gym and there was an old janitor sitting on the side. He was waiting for him to finish up so he could lock up the building. And one of the theological students went by and he saw that the old janitor was reading a Bible. And it kind of piqued his curiosity and he, he glanced over when he went by and he saw he was reading the book of Revelation. And so that theological student, he'd been studying and he'd been deep into uh, prophecy and he'd been deep into uh, eschatology and he'd been deep into Revelation. And, and he asked the old man, he said, Sir, he said, I see you're reading the book of Revelation he said, do you understand what you're reading? The old man replied and said, I sure do. That young student was pretty impressed. He thought, boy, I can't understand it. I'm studying it. I'm, I'm trying to figure it all out. And so he said, can you tell me about it? Can you explain to me the book of Revelation? And that old janitor looked up at him and said, well, he said, I'll tell you this. I know that Jesus is going to win. And you know, that's a great explanation of the book of Revelation. And I got news for you. You may not understand all this book and you may not have all the prophecy and all that figured out, but I got some great news for you. 
I got some reason to rejoice this morning, and that is that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will win. You say, but what about the elections? And what about the economy? And what about the health care? And what about the Middle East? And what about all the wickedness in our world? Hey, those things ought to be a reminder to you that it's getting close. Those things ought not to discourage you as a child of God. They ought to cause you to get your ear tuned to be listening for the trumpet to sound. You ought to have your eyes on that eastern sky and you ought to every day think, this could be the day that Jesus is coming back. And friend, he's coming. I promise you that. He could come at any time. We refer to the rapture as being an imminent event. Now that word imminent, I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, it just simply means that it could happen at any moment. You see, we don't know when the rapture will take place, but we know that it could happen today. It's possible that Jesus could come back before noon. It's possible that Jesus could come back before midnight. It's possible he could come tomorrow. He may come next week. It may be next month. It may be next year. It may be in 100 years. I don't know when he's coming, but I want to tell you this. He's coming. And that's the next event that we are waiting for, and that is the start of the second coming. It's the rapture of the church. When the rapture takes place, the Christians who are here, we will be caught up. We will be raptured. We will be snatched up and we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah for that. On the earth, there will begin a seven-year tribulation period. So the rapture takes place and immediately the clock starts ticking. There will be seven years of intense tribulation on this earth like no one has ever seen or ever imagined. It will make the Holocaust look like a picnic. The seven years of tribulation, the wrath of God will be unleashed upon this world. During that seven years of tribulation, God will deal specifically with Israel. It is referred to in the book of Jeremiah as the time of Jacob or the time of Israel's trouble. It is God dealing with his people. Remember, Israel was God's chosen people. And by the way, they still are. The Messiah came, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected the Messiah. They crucified the Messiah. And the nation of Israel has been set on a shelf. Now, God still loves his people, and God still cares for his people, and God still blesses his people, but God will judge the nation of Israel during that seven years of tribulation. There will be an antichrist. He'll be a world leader. By the way, he's not going to have a, a pitchfork and a tail and horns. He's going to be a very charismatic, a very persuasive, a very well-loved leader who will convince Israel and the world for seven years of peace. There'll be a peace treaty. That's why whenever I hear the news about all these peace treaties and all these uh, uh, meetings and all of these uh, uh, gatherings of world leaders, you just better hang on because as soon as the rapture takes place, it is set in motion. There will be peace, supposed peace, in Israel for seven years. But that Antichrist, he will be controlled by Satan himself. And after three and a half years, he will break that treaty with Israel. And the first three and a half years will be bad. 
But the second three and a half years of the tribulation will be worse than the first half. And that seven years of tribulation will take place on the earth. We will be in heaven. For those who are raptured out, for those who have already died in Christ, we will be in heaven. You say, what are we going to be doing in heaven? Well, there's a couple events. One will be the judgment seat. That's what Revelation 4 describes, that the uh, four and twenty elders, they cast their crowns before the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever. There will be the judgment seat of Christ. There will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be a time of rejoicing and there will be a time when we'll get to be with our loved ones. The loved ones we had to go to a grave and say goodbye to. The loved ones that we had to see in the hospital bed and we had to see him suffer. The loved ones that we had to say goodbye to and we didn't have time to say goodbye. We'll get to be with those loved ones. And we'll get to be with our Lord and Savior in heaven. And what a day that will be and what a time that will be. While we're in heaven, that tribulation period will be going on on this earth. At the end of the tribulation, there will be the battle of Armageddon. And that's where all the armies of the world will be gathered together. Now, they're gathered to fight against each other, and they're gathered to fight against Israel. But at that time, Jesus Christ himself, Revelation 19, he breaks through the sky riding on a white horse, and he'll be coming, and the Bible tells us that he'll be coming, and with the word of his mouth, it will come forth like a sharp sword, and he will defeat the armies of the world just with the word of his mouth. Now, that's a powerful God, the powerful God that spoke the worlds into existence. He will open his mouth and he will defeat the armies that have gathered themselves together to fight against him. And that'll be the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ has come back. He's conquered the Antichrist. He's conquered uh, the armies of the world that have risen against him. And he will set up on this earth his kingdom for 1,000 years. And we, as Christians, we will be with him and we will rule and reign with Christ. And boy, I tell you, I can't wait for that day when Jesus Christ is not only ruling your heart or my heart or not only ruling his church or ruling his people, but he will be in rule and he will be the king of the entire earth. Boy, what a day that will be. A thousand year reign of Christ. At the end of that thousand year reign of Christ, there will be a great white throne judgment. At the end of that great white throne judgment, that's when uh, those folks will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And that's when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But that is the, the start of the return of Christ, the rapture, the tribulation, and then the return of Christ for 1,000 years on this earth. The Bible tells us in John 14, Jesus said, if I go, and he did go. He did leave. He did ascend back up in heaven. Acts 1, the angel said, Why are you standing here gazing? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, he shall so come in like manner. He's coming back. In John 14, Jesus said, If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Titus 2 tells us that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. James 5, 8, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Friend, I got good news for you. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as Savior, it is a wonderful thought 
to think that Jesus is coming again. And he's coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us. Notice number one, and I won't get through this message. I can promise you that. Verse, uh, number one, I want you to see in verse 13, I see a reminder. You know, I, I do like reminders. And uh, if you're honest, you, you do too. We need reminders. But the Apostle Paul here to the church at Thessalonica, he's giving them a reminder, but he's also basically telling them in so many words, he said, you don't have an option here. You've got to know these things. You've got to understand these things. You have got to be aware of these things. I asked in the early service, and it's okay, you're not a bad person. As a matter of fact, you're probably a blessed person. But how many in here have you've made the decision? You've just decided, I do not even want to know how to use a computer. Anybody like that? You say, I don't even want to know, and I've just made that decision. Okay. You know what's, you know what's great is I see some actually some, some happy people. <laughs> Low stress level, it's working, you know. I don't even want to know how to do a computer. And by the way, if you can do that, God bless you. How many of you say, I do not even want to know how to text message? Let me see your hands. How many like that? Be honest. All right, good. Don't even want to know how to text message. And by the way, Miss Carmen, I mean, there's this thing, a phone, you could actually, I mean, you can talk, right? I mean, you don't have to just do this. You can talk on a phone. But some people refuse to. I think the younger generation refuses to talk on the phone. They will only text, you know. But uh, you just say, no way, I'm not going to do it. How many of you have refused, absolutely refused, you don't want anything to do with online banking? No online banking. How many, there you go. You say, I'm not doing it. We're not going there. Okay, all right, you put your hands down. How many say, I will not, I will not do online purchases? No online purchases. I've got to hold it. I've got to see it. I've got to touch it. And then I might buy it. But I'm not buying something I can't see and all that. Okay, so you have decided. And that's okay. That's fine. Perfectly fine. You've decided I'm not doing the computer. Uh, I'm not doing the texting. I'm not doing online banking. I'm not doing online purchase. And that is fine. And you know what? You can survive. You know how I know that? You have. You're here, right? It's possible you can survive. But friend, there's an area where you cannot afford to be ignorant. And there's an area where you cannot afford to say, I don't want to know. And that is what is going to happen to your soul. Where will you spend eternity? You have got to know that you're on your way to heaven. You have got to know that you're saved. It breaks my heart as I'll talk to people. And some people, they don't know if they're going to heaven or not. You know, you've talked to them. You've witnessed to them at work. And you'll say, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? No, I don't know. Would you like to know? No, not really. I don't have time. I mean, do you realize what you're saying? What you're saying is that you don't know where you're going to spend forever. And forever and forever. And there's no redos in life. And there's no restart. And there's no going back. Once you die, once I die, it's over and you will spend eternity in heaven, or you will spend eternity in hell, there's no limbo. There's no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. There's no, well, if I go to hell, I'll have somebody pray me out. That's not in the Bible. Friend, it is eternal life. It is everlasting life. And you have to know. You must know where you'll spend eternity. You cannot afford to be ignorant 
about your soul. But I got good news for you. You don't have to be ignorant. And I don't have to be ignorant because we have the Word of God. The Bible that gives us the answers. The Bible that tells us how we can know for sure. Now, I don't know the church at Thessalonica. I don't know how much information they had available to them. But I know this. When Paul wrote to him, he said this. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. You've got to know. You've got to understand what happens after we die. Notice with me the reminder. The reminder. But secondly, I see the reality. It says in verse number 13 that she, uh, concerning them which are asleep, that she sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Number one, we see the reminder, you can't be ignorant, you got to know these things. But secondly, the reality of death. Now in this passage, the Bible refers to death as sleep. You say, well, why would God refer to it as sleep? Well, I'll give you a couple reasons. One reason is because death seems so final. Boy, you hear those words and you just think, oh man, it's over. But if you're saved, death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. And the Bible tells us, Paul said in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, death is not a bad thing for a Christian. Now, it's bad for our loved ones because they miss us and because they'll sorrow and because they'll weep. But for you, when you die knowing Christ is Savior, you're saying goodbye to all the heartache. You'll never suffer again. You'll never weep again. You'll never have pain. You'll never have disappointment. You'll never, ever experience any of that if you're saved and you die. Death is gain because you have heaven to look forward to and heaven to enjoy forever. The reality of death, Jesus, when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, he told the people there, he said, don't worry, don't worry about Lazarus. He's not dead. He's just sleeping. That, that, that death for a Christian, it's peaceful. The death for the Christian, they're no longer suffering. They're no longer going through hardships. Death for the Christian, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's how we know that if a person dies and they're saved, they're not asleep in the ground until Jesus comes back. They are with him the second that they breathe their last breath. They are with the Lord. But I'm glad that death for the Christian is not a negative. Death for the Christian is not final. Death for the Christian is not the end, but death for a Christian, for a child of God, is the beginning. Number one, I see the reminder. Number two, I see the reality. But number three, I see in verse number 13, I see the reassurance. It says in verse number 13, Paul says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, for a Christian, that's reassuring. It's reassuring to know that we have hope. And that word hope is not cross your fingers and hope so. That word hope is confidence. That word hope is you can know and you can be convinced and you can be persuaded because you have the promises and I have the promises of God. But the Bible tells us that as Christians, we have hope. 
But notice what it says, that she sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You know what's a sad and shocking revelation? Is that when a person dies without Christ, there is no hope. When a person dies without knowing Christ as Savior, they will spend eternity in hell forever. And there's no hope. And there's no, as we said earlier, there's no second chances. There's no redos. And so others that do not know the Lord, they sorrow uh, because they don't have hope and they don't know where they'll spend eternity. But as Christians, that's not the way we weep. I think sometimes people come to our funerals uh, for, for our loved ones and people that know the Lord. And I think they're a little confused sometimes. Because we talk about the fact that we're celebrating a life and we're celebrating the fact that a person is with the Lord. Can I tell you, we have hope and our hope is found in Jesus Christ and our assurance is based on the word of God. Verse number 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That's our confidence, friend. Uh, a pastor didn't come up with this yesterday. Uh, we didn't sit in a, in, a, in a board meeting and decide all this last week. This is settled in the word of God. And if God said it, you can take it to the bank. It's true. And you can believe it. We have a reassurance. We have a reassurance that we know where our loved ones are. Verse number 13. The story is told of a man who lived in Oklahoma. The year was 1999. You remember 1999? Remember the worries and remember the panic and remember the fears of Y2K. Now, I was in college at the time and I was in college in California in Santa Clara and that is what they call, they refer to that area as the Silicon Valley. It's the computer capital of the world, at least it was, and I know there's many other places now, but they're all the big uh, eBay and Yahoo and, and Google and, and uh, all those, you know, like um, uh, Juno and, you know, all those, you know, big companies. Y'all know what Juno is? See, you never started email. See, you would know if you had started email once upon a time. But all those big companies, they, they, they got their start out there. But even in California, and Brother Dan, you remember this, but even in California, uh, people were panicking. Even, even the computer experts, they said, it's coming down. Uh, we are going to be in trouble. Um, there, th this man, his name was uh, Steve from Oklahoma. He was a computer analyst expert, and he said, the planes will not fly after Y2K. Well, they're still flying. Uh, the banks will be shut down. The trains will be stopped. Uh, there will not be electricity. There will not be all these things. He was, he was convinced it was all coming down. So here's what he did. He built himself a bunker. Now, yeah, let me finish the illustration to know that I'm not saying this is what you need to do, unless you're in the sound booth and your name is Curry. <laughs> he built himself a bunker. He had enough food to last him a long time. He had enough water. He had his weapons. He really wasn't a gun guy until this time, but he got all of the, his guns. He got some semi-automatics. He got ammunition. He stockpiled it, and he was ready for Y2K. 
They interviewed him before Y2K. They did some, a television series just interviewing people. And he told those folks on that interview, he said, oh no. He said, I'm not an alarmist. He said, I'm not panicking. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. He said, oh no, I'm not going overboard. I'm not doing that. He said, here's what I'm doing. He said, I'm just getting ready. And I want to tell you, I'm not asking you to prepare for Y2K. Obviously, that's already passed. But I am asking you to get ready for something that we know for sure it is coming. We don't know when it's coming, but it's the return of Christ. It's the rapture. I'm not asking you to panic. I'm not asking you to go get in your house and get your family together. And I'm not asking you to hunker down until, no, no, no. I'm asking you to keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep going to church. Keep witnessing. Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep rejoicing. Keep doing what you're doing. But I'm asking you to get ready. Number one, make sure you're saved. Say, Pastor, we are in church. Isn't everybody in the church house saved? I hope so but probably not. Because I don't know if you're saved. You don't know if I'm saved. That's something between you and the Lord. That's something between me and the Lord. Now, I can tell you, I know that I'm saved. I know that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but I can't answer for you. I'm not saved because my dad was a pastor. I'm not saved because my mom and dad were in the ministry and because they took me to Sunday school and they took me to church and we had family devotions. I'm not saved because of the home I grew up in. I'm saved because as a boy, I knelt beside the bed in my parents' bedroom and I prayed and I trusted Jesus Christ for myself and I put my faith and trust in him and him alone and I'm going to heaven. I can't tell you if you're going to heaven or not. That's something that's between you and the Lord. But I'll say this, you better be ready. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm ready. Well, you don't know you're going to have another week. You don't know you're going to have another Sunday. You don't know you're going to have another opportunity. You can't put off getting ready. You got to get ready. Are you saved? Secondly, if you're saved, don't ask you this. Are you right with God? Because when Jesus comes back, if you're saved, you'll go to heaven. But do you want to go to heaven and meet the Lord knowing that you're not living right? Do you want to go to heaven and meet the Lord knowing you haven't been a witness and you haven't done anything to try to tell anybody else or you haven't tried to be a blessing or encouragement to, to encourage others to trust Christ? I tell you, when I meet the Lord, I want to be ready. I want to know that I'm right with Him. Are you ready? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.